Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey guys, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm Christina. So, week one of Succession Season 3. The reviews are in, they're incredible, the excitement is through the roof. And I'm so thrilled to call on one of my favorite past guests, actor, writer, director, producer, Aryan Moyed. Stewie Husseini on Succession, the private equity investor with a seat on Waystar's board. He's the longtime friend of Kendall Roy, and his position, especially now going into season three, is of great importance to the Roys. But the actor also has an incredible lineup of great projects coming up. It's the era of Aryan. But let's bring him on and I'll tell you more about those. Hey, Aryan, thanks so much for being here. It's so nice to see you again. You as well. So glad to be back with you, even virtually. This is such an exciting time for you, and I have decided to call it the Era of Aryan. So bear with me as I tell the listeners everything that's going to be going on for you. You are starring in Season 2 of HBO Max anthology series Love Life, also starring William Jackson Harper. Now, one streamer is not enough, so you're heading over to Netflix on Shondaland's limited series Inventing Anna that's premiering early 2022. Now, that's the story of the fraudster Anna Delvey who tricked her way onto the party scene, right? Crazy story. Crazy story. We're going to get into that. Season two of The Accidental Wolf, which you wrote and directed, that's coming up. Of course, you have your theater company, their co-founder of Waterwell, which is also an arts education institution. Um, A little something called Succession Season 3, which must be like (laughs) the most buzzed about series premiere in years. And I guess you've arrived in pop culture heaven because you are now part of the MCU with Spider-Man 3, (laughs) No Way Home, starring Tom Holland, Zendaya, Benedict Cumberbatch, and you. Are you ready for all this? That's so funny. A question that's been asked a lot. Are you ready for all this? And I guess the que- the answer is, I guess. I mean, maybe I'll fuck something up, but I, I guess I'm ready for it. You know, I don't know. It's crazy, though. It really, it's kind of nice to kind of sit back a little bit and like see all these shows kind of like come out now. But uh, it is crazy. It's a crazy six months. Are you preparing for all the press you have to do, like push-ups or? <clears throat> no, <laughs> that is one thing. You know, I, I always say this joke, but Matthew McFadden and I, McFadden and I were talking and we were talking about exercise and he was talking about what he does or what he doesn't do. And then he's like, what do you do? I say, I do nothing. So I should, I I usually, what I do is probably eat more salads. That's probably what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to prep. And if it looks good, I'll just say, yeah, brain food. That's it. Brain food. 
But let's start what's happening this weekend. A few nights ago, you had the huge succession party in New York. How was that evening? That was madness. That was so, it was must have been the most insane premiere I've ever been to. Um, there was more, um, it was also like, whereas in, it was at the Natural History Museum, which is like, my daughter got vaccinated at the Natural <laughs> History Museum under the whale. And all of a sudden we're here at the, the, the party, for, you know, caviar all night long. That's how I start this. Caviar all night long. Um, Nick uh, Batrell played, you know, a little music from Succession, which was unbelievable. And it was just fancy and glamorous and fun. And, 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 and it was just great to, you know, when we were doing the show this last season, because of COVID protocols, we didn't get to hang that much, especially all the New York shit. Like we didn't get to like, hey, what are you doing to later? You know, um, so it was a nice release for everyone. It was also awesome to see the show on a big screen and hear the laughs and hear the chuckles and the groans. Um, you know, hearing <clears throat> that, you know, the wine bottle get opened by Naomi was, and hearing Incredible. the groans of, oh my God. Like, oh People God, were, this is did, yeah, that scene so was cringe. <laughs> yeah, it's total cringe. But can you feel the, the explosion between season two and season three of just expectations is pretty incredible. Can you feel expectations that people have for the series? Yeah, of course I can, because I feel it. I even know what happens and I feel it. Like I'm dying to, because one of the things about Succession that's so kind of unique um, is that we don't see anyone else's work, like ever. Like I have no idea what's going on in the, I mean, especially I don't, but so many of us don't know what's going on in the other world. So <clears throat> we're also kind of big fans of the show. Um, you know, it's always, we're also like, you know, without sounding too highfalutin, we're also like artists. And so we really want it to be fucking good and people to like it. And and um, <clears throat> talking to even um, Jesse and some of the writers on, uh, on the premiere night, like you can hear their like, I hope people like it vibe. Do you know what I mean? Because we really are doing this for all, you know, for so many folks and we want to get it right. And, and we're perfectionists. So, you know, we're, there's the anticipation is great. And, you know, you said cringe, it's a cringy season. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, that's always exciting. I remember, I remember when season two was coming out and I would, and, and having red born the floor, you know, I don't know how people are going to react to that. And I don't know what was shot. And so watching that and the reactions to that is just kind of like how I'm excited about seeing how everyone's going to enjoy this third kind of kind of brilliant season. But I just have to back up and, and ask you when you talk about that, you did you don't know. So do you get like one script at a time? You guys don't see the whole thing? No, we get we get every episode. We get the episode. We get the entire episode. And so we are seeing and, and you know, because we had to do so many Zoom room um, table reads, we didn't. I don't think we did, maybe they did in, in Italy, but we most of our, our, our table reads were in Zoom. And so you get the script, you get the whole script and you just kind of like read it out, you know, with everyone. And um, truthfully, like, um, you also don't know what makes it. You also don't know what Kieran's gonna do. You don't know what anyone's gonna do. And so like the, the anticipation of seeing how all that's gonna play is really kind of exciting. What was the Zoom room readings like? Did you feel that you were missing something? 
Well, you know, the Zoom room, you miss the laughter because everyone's muted. So you can watch it, but you know, it's like, it's it's so complicated. So if you're, if you're in the scene, your camera has to be on but muted until your lines are up. But if you're not in the scene, you have to be off camera and muted. And so like, you don't get a sense of like, that, did that joke play? Like, you know, but when you're in a table read, you have a, a, a an energy that's like flying throughout the room that really kind of like makes it so unique and special and 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 just you know just just special. So you miss a little bit of that energy. Also, to be real, there's a lot of computer um, novices to the group, um, and so unmuting and muting and muting someone, <laughs> yeah. and oh, it's just Tell like me about it. Yeah, exactly. After yeah, I'm sure you assume. know. <laughs> oh it's a God. little bit of like. It's a bit of like, I'm doing a reading right now for succession. Yeah. All right. Sorry, guys. Where were we? That's so funny. <laughs> it's like you have you have uh, Brian Cox yelling, fuck you, and your kids are coming back from there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What? Yeah, totally. You're reading the last episode and you're like zooming it and you're like, I'm, in, I'm reading the last episode. That did just happen. But I think that's kind of what it feels like from the outside. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Stewie. The um, New York Magazine had a power ranking of the characters after season two, and Stewie was in spot number two. He is a pretty powerful character. Let's recap him a little bit. Where is yeah. he now as season three starts? He just watched his friend kind of blow up the whole thing, go on air. He is all of a sudden meeting with Sandy and Sandy, and... Um, the two of them are, or three of them are probably figuring out what their moves are. <clears throat> They're definitely kind of consider what everyone else is considering. What side are you on? And who has the best chance of winning it? I think because Sandy Furness, older Sandy, has such a uh, hatred for Logan. Um, and because Stewie has such a love for winning. Um, I think there might be an alliance here that could really, really kind of play. But you also have a, a situation where the proxy battle could, you know, as they do sometimes on, on you know, in, in Forbes and, you know, and Cranes and all that, <laughs> um, you kind of, you gotta get a, get a sense that sometimes these things get exhausting or exhausted. Um, and so uh, there's a little bit of wondering if Stewie and the team are kind of figuring out um, what is the long play here. Also, you have chaos over there. Everything it's about Waystar, <laughs> it's war, but you also have a chaotic Waystar Royco family at the, at the heart of it. Always chaos, all the time, no matter what. and that volatility is um, actually really kind of helpful when you're trying to win, but it also is, um, is frightening because at any point, at any time, something can just go and snap the opposite way. So, so um, I think that's where Stewie's coming in. You know, there's so much talk about Stewie's relationship with Kendall and whatnot. And, and some people say he's a backstabber to him and some people say that he hates him and whatnot, but, for me, you know, when you are, when you go to Buckley together, when you go to college together and you have gone through the ranks of, you know, and dreamed it together, you know what I mean? Dreaming as a 16 year old about owning it all, there's always gonna be some sort of loyalty there. But the loyalty always has to be about 
winning and money for Stewie and Kendall. And so um, I think Stewie, in a weird way, has always been dreaming of that. Um, and and I think it's and he I, I, and and obviously it was <clears throat> it was possible. We had the whole world in our hands as a success. You know, we really hit. We really. We really did. At one point, we could have done this. We, we would have won. We would have been, you know, talked about forever. Well, Stewie really has a checkmate position right now. Everyone wants him. <laughs> he has the power and backing of so many investors. He is he has got, and I mean this, he's got the confidence that this world is looking for in leadership, which I think... Stewie and Logan um, often don't see in Kendall. Um, um, and and um, he has a feeling of, um, fuck it, we're going to win anyway. So, you know, at the end of season two, you know, it was a bold move to say no to him, but the deal wasn't there. The deal was, because he was right. He was like, our people are going to win a little bit more than your people are. And so why would I all of a sudden jump ship to do this if this game is about winning? And you both know that this is about winning. You wouldn't be coming to me <laughs> during my lunch break to, you know, <laughs> to, you know, while I'm eating octopi uh, to be asking me for money. So I was I was reading a really interesting thing that Jesse Armstrong said about the family in his research about, you know, everyone from Caesar families, mm. redstones to the murder. I read this. Yeah, that one thing he really realized is that they never get out of the drama. They that once you are that rich and that powerful, that's what you do, even if it's your blood relatives, your sister, your brother, um, you are going to fight for power. How much do they sort of enjoy the game? What else do they know? Yeah, like, that's what they know. You know, you can keep going further. The, you know, um, the royal family. I mean, they're all about drama. I mean, so much so that there's 400 Dianas coming out in the next you know, two minutes. <laughs> like, there's a musical, there's Spencer, there's the crown coming, you know. And so the reason is just because that kind of, and also they don't bring a lot of people in. There aren't that many new families that are coming in. And so that kind of family, that kind of family drama is so, it's really all that they know. And again, going back to Stewie, that is what is so fascinating about him because he doesn't give a fuck about any of that. You know what I mean? He's an outsider coming in and he's like, dude, we are about to make, you know, what did he say in his first episode? You know, you know, Russian ruble fucking coin. You know what I mean? Like crazy, 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 crazy coin. And so, like, in a way, that family drama is the thing that's holding these people back from kind of even making more money. But yeah, that's that, they love power. It. Yeah. I don't give a shit about your... Fa- he even said, he's, you know, love him or hate him. Episode one, scene one. He's like, you're going to do this thing with with Shiv and Roman and Connor. Like, are you serious? Like, give me a fucking break. Like, this is about money. Let's fucking go in. And and in a way, I think these family dynamics, what's playing even the Kardashians, what's playing in front of us is their own personal wars. And what we have to deal with is, you know, is like picking up all of their kind of you know, psychoanalysis and try to be like, wow, <laughs> let's just kind of move, 
you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating, but it's really true. It's really, really, really true. We really have to get all these people something more to do with themselves. They say, yeah, get, take a knitting class. Yeah. Join a knitting class for Christ's sake. Do something, you know, meditate. So what are the vulnerabilities that you think Stewie has found in, in these people? For I mean, besides sort of Kendall's addiction. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Kendall's addiction, I think that's a vulnerability. I think, I think the vulnerability is, is, and, and I'm saying this as Stewie, not as myself, but as <laughs> Stewie, um, I think the vulnerability is that they all are looking for dad's love. I think he knows that. Um, and I think that's what the audience knows as well. Um, and in a way, Stewie kind of serves as that. Um, a lot of those outsiders in the, in the, in the show do. Um, uh, I think he also realizes that um, the vulnerability of the chaos um, is very, it could be very helpful. Um, the more they kind of blow each other up and the more they kind of try to like hurt each other. Um, and um, I think the other vulnerability is that, um, and I, and I can't wait for the, you know, people to say, but I think the other vulnerability is that, is that he really is a friend of Kendall's. And I think, you know, I think he realizes that money wins, but in that first episode of season two, he was really throwing a lifeline. Like, dude, let's fucking talk. I'm right here, you know, without being too fucking gross or earnest. Cause we're, bros like that what's going on like what just happened and for him to say you know my dad's plan was better that pisses him off it's like well fuck you like i'm gonna eat you alive too then and you know people also forget this scene but i also do too but at the end of season one where kendall's trying to find more drugs he's like are you okay what's going on man like we have a big day tomorrow let's just chill out here i think <clears throat> I think there is a there is that is a vulnerability for for Stewie. Um, I think he's been able to 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 turn it off in season two because um, because there's a proxy battle and 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 he feels and he was betrayed by Kendall. So, what is Stewie's end game? You think? I mean, who, who on that show's end game is not CEO? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, when so you see of, of when you see Carl and of or a Frank being like, I think I could be a person. It's like just the fresh face we need. Um, of waste, or what do you think his end game is? You know, is it to get rid of waste, or to be the CEO of waste? I mean, you know, it's that's a that's that's. I think his end game, you know, and I don't mean to sound naive here, but I think his end game is making sure that he and his team have the most money. And so if that means, and I'm not trying to dodge the, your, your, your question here, that could mean CEO of Waystar, doubt it. That could mean getting rid of Waystar, possible. That could mean joining with Waystar, possible. Like there's a lot of things in there that I think um, could possibly happen. I think for him, it's the bottom dollar. Like his people need to reap the benefits of these wheelings and dealings. And I think, um, that is the bottom line. That's the bottom line for people like Stewie. Um, and oddly, oddly, it's not the bottom line for the, the Roy family because the Roy family's bottom line is I want to be CEO. I want to be daddy's number one. 
And I want to be respected by daddy, which I want to be respected. I don't need that. I don't need that at all. Gives him so many points in the game. Yeah, he's basically like you know there there you know again I'm always I'm only going to talk about this past stuff, but there are scenes where he's kind of like everyone fucking hates you, dude. Like I'm sorry, I'm sure you. It's almost like he's saying I'm sure you know this, but it seems like no one wants to talk about it. But everyone fucking hates you, and you have a huge media problem. And, and Logan respects that about Stewie because then what does Logan do? Logan goes in and does a PR campaign and yeah, we have that glory. Yeah, exactly. The first table read ever of Succession was on the day that Trump was elected. Yeah, for, for, for the pilot, right? Yeah, for the pilot, exactly. That was on, on the day. This is the first season of Succession that's airing without Trump in office. Do you see any, you know, viewers seeing it or taking it differently or? There's a prescientness of Jesse's writing, um, but there's also a person that's researched that world. And so um, to me, I think this world now that we live in post-Trump is a world that I think we know much better now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And I think when we see these people, I think we see that the danger and the reality that these people actually do run the world. Um, And I think Jesse's kind of, for in my opinion, Jesse's kind of like... um, theme for succession would be we need to end this kind of gajillionaire class because these people are just going to run amok over and over and over again and it's the end of the trump world but it's not the end of a businessman you know the elon musks of the world are young still um and it would be foolish for us to think that they're not going to try to run run this game again. Yeah, it's crazy to me because, you know, the billionaire class, the gajillionaire class um, is, is, has so much power and so much, um, uh, and so much influence on all of our lives from our phones to our coffee. Um, and we really haven't had a chance to peek into that world in a minute way, in a realistic, I don't want to say realistic, I don't want to dog anyone else, but in a unbelievably specific way as succession has. And I, I think I'm, I, I say this often, and I might've said it to you before as well, but um, the compliment that I think is the one is no one wants to be that rich. Who wants to be that rich? And if that is a takeaway from all this, I think that will be a real kind of like, Plus, because, um, you know, businessmen in public figures is um, it's already happening underneath, you know, in episode one, where they're having this little talk with Michelle Ann, played by the amazing Linda Eman, like having them talk and be like, well, maybe you could. It's like, why is this conversation happening between the two of you? This is 
this there should be a line here. There shouldn't even be a call. There shouldn't even be someone answering the call. But that's happening. It happened more blatantly during Trump. But give me a break. It's been happening to all of them from, you know, the beginning of time. How different are the scripts when they get to you? Is there any improvisation at all? You know, I, 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 it really depends on the scene. It depends on the circumstance. It depends on how many people there are. There's so many variables here. Sometimes the improv happens because there is so many people in a room and we're doing 11 pages all on the same day with all of us shooting all of our 11 pages in like this mini one act. And so all of a sudden this, something falls or a shirt falls or the light turns off and all of a sudden you've got to improvise. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't just be like, hold everyone. I know there's 300 people working on these you know, shots. So a lot of that happens as well. Um, a lot of it happens when you're responding to something, when um, a, a lot of it happens when, you know, an actor all of a sudden, because there are so many variations of the script, some actors kind of like say other lines from other versions of the script, either knowingly or unknowingly on a freebie or whatnot. And then you have to like maneuver. Um, Stewie has so much gold, like burns <laughs> that I really am trying to like get those right for Jesse. But, you know, Jesse also comes up and is like, yeah, that's, you know, you know, um, maneuver a little bit, you know, play a little bit in there or, 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 or say a version of that. Um, um, it's also like quick and fast and we don't rehearse. Um, and so, you know, there's always going to be a level of, you know, it's, it's very true, but like there is this complete idea that when it goes so fast and there is so much going on and we're shooting on film and we don't have that much time and, and we don't rehearse that like when something fucks up in a normal, regular kind of like network show, it's very easy to come be like, oh, let's stop. Can we just start from the top again? In this world, if it blanks, if your lines go or whatever, you just have to maneuver and make it happen. And, and sometimes gold happens from that, you know, um, I got to look this up. The, for the listeners who, who don't know that you, you shoot on film, um, which is expensive. So it's almost like you guys are doing a theater piece, but you also have very movable cameras. So it's not like a one shot, big shot, one shot. They're finding you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I like actually describe it a little bit sometime it, because it's un, it's 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 it feels like the celebration. It feels like dogma, you know, dogma films, because what's happening is a room of, let's say, 10 actors, and there's one room, let's say in Logan's office, for example, and there's 10 actors in there, and then you're in that room, and then three cameras all shooting on film, and it's a seven-page scene. And again, that would be a day for a regular TV show. We can do a seven-page scene and do a couple other scenes you know, on the same day, because the three cameras are in the corners of the room. We have no idea where our close-ups are. We have no idea if they're even on us, but every time we just act as if you're doing a one-act play. And then all of a sudden they cut, and then all of a sudden you get a couple of notes, and then you're, you, sometimes you're like, did you get that thing? And then they're like, oh yeah, we totally got that. I was like, okay, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I, the camera is so far away. Um, like, I'll give you a perfect example. In season two, there is, when we were doing the, the, the comedy show was happening in the, um, in our, our, our Justies, the comedy show was happening and I was in the back watching the comedy show and then Logan comes by um, and I have this line of like, it's, um, uh, it's, it's, it's funny because it's true. It's funny because it's true. I could, and there was, you know, 700 people there and the cameras are all over the place. 
And I was like, are we, is this line cut? Like, it's fine, dude, just let me know. And they're like, no, no, we got it. I was like, you got that? Like, oh yeah, every take. I'm like, every take? <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you really have no clue. And again, it takes a certain type of actor to do that. That's why I think so many of us are theater folks. But it also takes a lot of trust on everyone's part. And it also takes a lot of just like, just play your zone, play your game, everything's okay. You know, people forget that even though we've been doing this and many people have been doing it for a long time, we get nervous. We still get nervous. And we get even more fucking nervous because we love the fucking show. You yeah, know what I mean? We want, we want it to be great. We want people to like it and love it. And we want people to, and so, um, yeah, it's a really kind of, um, and then and then because you don't have a lot of rehearsal and because it's like so fast moving, you really have to be on your game, A, but you also have to really understand that, um, that uh, it's just focus, 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 because at one moment, something could happen. You know what I mean? Again, in that same scene, I'm just remembering right now, I guess I had a glass of wine or champagne or something, but then on one take, so, uh, another person will come by and give me another bottle. So I had like two bottles or two <laughs> glasses or something. And then you're putting one down and all of a sudden the logo's walking on me. It's like, it's funny because you're like, you're just maneuvering as a human being and hoping to God that they get it. Um, I get the feeling Kieran Culkin is a major improviser. Oh yeah, totally. He does. And you know, we, we've had a few scenes together and the scenes that we've had together, and I'm an improviser too. The scenes that we've had together have been very um, kind of scripted to be on. Like we've been very like, on book, but um, but the improvising also sometimes comes in and out of the lines. Dudes and bros and fucks and, you know, and like, what is going on here? A lot of like, what is happening? What is happening with this shit? Why is this happening? You know, um, like uh, happens, you know, all times in there. And also extras and, you know, background folks coming in being like, what's how, you know, improvising with them, like, it's always a free for fucking all. And also because we don't know what's exactly going to happen in these big people scenes, but there's so many actors and so many crew members, you have to always know that like improv might just like fly in. Um, so that's so brilliant with this show. In one sense, it's so controlled, so written, Shakespearean totally. text. But it, when you describe it, it feels like it's just you guys can really maneuver around, you know, the filming and the set and each other. And it's incredible how these two very controlled and uncontrolled things can mesh so brilliantly. And that's why you feel the energy. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what you what the audience is feeling. And you can feel it in the camera. And, you can, and also know that we don't often get a lot of in those big scenes, especially you're not getting a lot of marks, because everything could be seen. So all of a sudden, the, the crew is doing the vast majority of the heavy lifting there because all of a sudden I'm not going to be exactly on the same mark because the, you know, someone that's passing the wine or whatever is like miss, miss their mark and whatever. And so the, they are like maneuvering in between three or four people zooming, you know, it's, it's a real kind of dance. Yeah. They're really a hero. And also Ken, our sound guy, like to manage a 10 page scene and like have like 12 actors on, a, on, on and having like a mic board in front of him and maneuvering in and out like live mixing essentially is not easy work. No. Um, it's just not easy. <laughs> All right, before we move on, you've now seen the edited first episode as we all have um, who are listening to this this week. What did you think? 
Yeah, I love that. You know, when when we I think for the table read, we read one and two together, I think in Zoom. I think that's what happened. Don't quote me on that. Um, but um watching all of those scenes and watching all those people come back, the genius of having it like be like 10 minutes less, five minutes after the conference, the genius of having um everyone scatter and kind of like go off into their own world. Um, the cringe level of it, seeing um, who is trying to crush everyone at the same time is really kind of fascinating to me. Um, seeing I, I, a scene that I loved in the table read, but I think might have had some rewrites, but what, uh, is, is actually Kieran talking about how he should, talking and pitching to Logan on how he should kill Kendall. I thought that was amazing. He's like, well, he's a junkie and da da da, da. And I just, like the, the immediacy of like, just all that was really exciting. Um, it's brilliant. I mean, I, I can't even believe sometimes I'm on the show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean this, like it's fucking brilliant. And we always talk about that. It's like, we're like, how the hell did we get on this brilliant shit? Um, but it really, every aspect of it, you know, all of the cringy, the razor talk, seeing Rava come back and, and then all of a sudden having Ken go to Rava's house and Rava, who's obviously in my mind has always been through like therapy and has been doing lots of therapy, to, like deal with this. And she's like therapizing, like yeah. how will someone okay, deal with in. this? Fine. Come on in. Okay. Naomi you know, also, coming. Can, come, on. <laughs> come on. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to be the bigger person here. And all of a sudden drinking, you know, Godfather's wine with the dust on it. And then, and then just having that, just god that brilliant line of like i just have to remember that you know beautiful things get you know broken it's just a metaphor for life it's like these things are and some yeah, of I, I love it lines the the what did he say carl if your hands are clean it's because your whorehouse has a manicurist <laughs> unbelievable or like you can suck um how about you suck my dick <laughs> to his son it's like as the sexual assault charges fly through the yes. door or whatever that line is that's amazing yeah i mean i mean this i'm i'm not i'm i'm, I'm gonna give you a little tidbit i'm in my manhattan place right now and and sarah snook and her husband uh dave were here um i guess a couple of weeks ago, we went to go see a play we went to go see this amazing broadway play passover and then afterwards we're hanging out here and we're like because we, we get you know little screener links and so we were like, let's watch another one. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we're like, and it was like maybe 2 a.m. And we're like, we want to watch another one. But it's like, you know, but we are addicted to the show. We were addicted we to are. the show. As, as, you know, we want to see all of it. I guess you can't tell us anything that's happening going forward, but we'll, we'll see that. But last time we talked, we talked about if you got to keep any of the suits. Did you get to keep them? I got to keep my leather jacket. Oh, good. Good for you. Yeah. That thing was gorgeous. Made by Paul Marlowe. That thing is stunning. Yeah. Well, we can't wait to see the rest. Now I want to talk a little I don't know how much you can talk about these other projects sure. that you're doing, but Inventing Anna will be coming in 2022. Tell me a little bit about this project. Started shooting in November of 2019. We finished in January of 2021. COVID really through it into the air. Inventing Anna is the story, is the, I cannot wait for you to see it, Christina. Uh, it is the story of 
Anna Delvey. Um, she was a she was uh, the she was a fake German heiress who nearly got tens of millions of dollars to start her own private art and social club called the Anna Delvey Foundation in Manhattan, kind of like a Soho house. And she was claiming to be the daughter of one of the rich folks from Germany. And it was all a stinking lie. And she, and we see not only her win a lot, but we also see her fall. And um, it's played by the miraculous and future Emmy oh, nominated, if not winning, Julia Garner. Again, I mean, she's from her performances Ozark and from, from the Ozark assistant. and the assistant and, and the Americans. And um, she gives a, a performance of a lifetime. And Anna Klumsky, who we all love and adore from Veep and My Girl. And, um, and, and, my, and I'm in, you know, yeah, I, I, play, I play Julia's lawyer. Todd Spodek, um, and um, get a chance to really, you know, defend her in a court of law, uh, um, both in a kind of, uh, as obviously as a lawyer, but also as kind of like a father figure. Um, and uh, and it stars Laverne Cox and Anadavir Smith, and um, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. An unbelievable. Interesting act. with these projects that that are, you know, sort of delving into the rich. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a, it's wealth porn in the era that we're in right now. Either we're delving into wealth porn of the absurdly rich or really looking at class and things like made and, and squid game also has to do with, you know, class yeah. and, and things like that. We're really sort of a political moment, I think, where we're looking into things like well, that in television. I really do think that's right. And it's also fame. A lot of this, what, what this is also about is fame because Anna Delvey, um, Amazing. Shonda Rhimes, I forgot to mention the real star of the show, Shonda Rhimes. This is, she wrote it all, created it, and is the, um, the showrunner. Shonda is also dealing with fame. She's also dealing with media attention. She's also dealing with um, this kind of like miraculous female lead that is kind of like a, you know, a fraudster and a trickster and maybe sociopathic, but also she also brings up a very good point of like, yeah, but like men walking into rooms all the time, pitch some sort of app. They need a hundred million dollars. They get the hundred million dollars. Yeah, they show a care. pitch deck. And then all of a sudden a, a year goes by and they're like, sorry, the fucking app doesn't work. Well, they do it all the time and they don't go to fucking jail for it, you know? Um, and so it's miraculous to me that like Shonda really wants to delve into that because I feel that is the currency of especially Western culture, the currency is likes and fucking whatever the things are, you know, follows and messages and, 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 and shares and all of that. And so in a way, she's really pinpointed a really specific place where we are in our society that I think, she, and she does it so specifically in nine episodes um, that I think it's like this lovely limited. I, 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 I can't, the other thing about Anna Delby that I think is gonna be really fascinating is she's loved. Mm -hmm. Anna Delvey oh, is loved. She's a loved per person. People that met her and people that even were frauded by her, people are often asking like, why did you do all this? Well, because she was really nice and we really liked her. You know, she got, she had four to 14 years is what her sentence was. And she got off uh, on good behavior because everyone at the prison loved her. 
The prisoners loved her. The prison, the guards loved her. They loved her because she has that magnetic personality of like, come on, let's go, you know, let's just kind of do this. So it's a fascinating, you know, when she was even arrested, she had a massive following of followers because they had, you know, I think it was called Anna Delvey courtroom looks, which was an Instagram, you know, you know, that was going viral where she would show up to court looking in whatever she was wearing, <laughs> you know, like, and people were like, look how good she looks. And also there's a little bit of like, a little bit of like what she's doing is this like young 25 year old. Robin Hood? Yeah, yeah. like fuck all these people. It's different than the lady, you know, the Theranos lady. She's not taking, she's not taking your blood. It's not like Billy McFarden calm all the way down here and all of a sudden like go to a party and, you know, you know, make shift tents. She's like, I want to throw a huge Soho house. And guess what? You won't be invited. <laughs> you know, that was the big thing. It's like, you're not even invited to this thing. Like, you, you know, so miraculous. Really, really miraculous. I cannot wait for people to see it. And what about the MCU? What's that like? I mean, that just seems... Surreal. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't, can't talk too much about this, as I'm sure you understand and your viewers understand as well, but... What is it like? It's miraculous. It's amazing. It is, um, you know, what I do. But can you what say I, who you play? I don't think I, I can. But okay, well, you know I, what? I won't go there. Well, I won't. But I will say, that here's how, one thing that's amazing about being in the MCU universe and also being in, in you know, Spider-Man, which is, is watching Tom Holland and Zendaya and Marissa Tomei and uh, and Jacob and all these guys just really be at the top of their game and just just watching the, you know for you know I, all, all I talk about is Tom because I, I'm, I'm kind of addicted to him. He feels to me like this young Michael J. Fox character. Do you know what I mean? I feel like watching him, it's like all the things that I wanted to do when I was 22 and 23, but like, not nearly the skill and he's an acrobat as well and watching him on set and watching him how he you know he was improvising a lot of improvising was happening um um a lot of like kind of just like maneuvering in the space um a lot of like fun exciting you, you know just you know people that were really like jazzed to be there but also feeling like we were just you know when you get down to it you're just actors you know in front of a camera um and so also making it feel like real and honest and and, and, you know, it's amazing. It, it, the whole thing is amazing. It's also amazing just to walk around, you know, the Marvel, you know, whatever that is, studio system and just be like, what is happening here? You know, you can't take any pictures or anything. So you're just trying to like do this old thing of like called memory. Like, will I remember this? <laughs> yeah, it, feels, um, it feels different from succession, even though it's big, I mean, yeah, big in different ways. It's another big, it big like in different ways, yeah. And also, I'm just gonna say the last thing about it that, you know, the, also the thing that I love about being in it is like, you know, I'm this Iranian guy born in Iran, and now all of a sudden, all these Iranians, I cannot tell you how many Iranians message me and tell me like, they can't believe that I'm in this universe. Um, I mean, they really cannot believe it. And, um, and that's really powerful to me. That's a real powerful thing for me. So, I mean, I, I urge you listeners to go and listen to our talk last year, because there we talked about, about your background, but I just want to um, reiterate that. So you're Iranian born, you moved 
right after the revolution, right? 1979? 79 was the revolution. We moved in. We got to the States in 86. And one of the things you've said um, regarding this is also how you choose your roles, that you really do not want to take and have said no to terrorist roles and things like that. Talk a little bit about how you choose your roles today now that these really big ones are coming to you. Well, I appreciate you saying that. My my, my family does as well because um, there were some, as I like to call it, lean years where sometimes some of those jobs that were being thrown at you though morally reprehensible, were financially successful. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can imagine. So, and, and also I have no judgment, meaning, you know, sometimes I wish, you know, it wasn't a big deal, but it is a big deal to me. My family escaped a country. We were, you know, you know middle-class Iranians with families and lives and, and we're, we're in the neighborhood and helped family members and helped you know, neighbors and we're always thinking for one another and then come to this country. And then all of a sudden we live in a, you know, kind of a poor immigrant neighborhood on the North side of Chicago. Um, and, um, and all of a sudden to, and then I'm going to school for acting, which is insane for every Iranian that knows. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you're trying to do Shakespeare and you're playing Iago in college and you're doing Beckett and you know all these other things and then all of a sudden you go to the real world and they're like you're terrorist number four we need you to blow this thing up and then you're like wow none of that represents who I am at all like without you know it's so foreign to who I am and what I and and what my people are and you have to come to this point of like well I can take this job and do this thing and get a little bit of money. But you know, at the end of the day, as someone that grew up with not that much money, it's not a thing that I'm desiring anymore because I know what it's like to have no money. So it's not like I've tasted it and like, you know, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, so to me it's like, well, whatever. And then what's basically happened is um, I ended up doing so much theater, saying no to a bunch of parts. Some of those parts m- made lots of people's careers. Um, some of those parts didn't make anyone's career. Most of them didn't make anyone's careers. So in that way, that was also kind of like really reassuring. Um, money comes and money goes. There's not one job that anyone's gotten that's gotten like, you're going to save their lives for the rest of the, you know, you, it's, it's, it's a plethora of jobs that you're going to need. And also, um, because I've stuck to my morals the end of, since, I mean, 26? I mean, there was this, this LA Times article that was that I was quoted maybe like in 2008 or something where I'm talking about this. Um, now that the industry knows that about me, they, they you look at me in a different way. They just look at me in a different way. They have, you know, and I'm not even asking for, but they have a lot more respect for my choices. Um, and, they, and they're going to have to deal, if you want me to play something that's controversial or an Iranian or whatnot, you're going to have to deal with me talking about it. And, and, and I, and I mean this in the last six months, less, there have been people that have offered jobs in which we have talked about what it means to be an Iranian in this scenario. And, and they've not gone the way that they wanted or that I wanted, because I'm asking them to dig deep into what it means to be Iranian. You know, I say this, you know, I teach a lot. And I, I'm, after this, I'm going to go teach some high school students. I talk about farming a lot. In an episode of, let's say, Law and Order, there's seven, let's say, script writers, and there's um, and and they have to write an episode. One of the one of the staff writers has to write an episode on farming, but they grew up in, let's say, New York City. They know nothing about farming. 
zero, zilch, just like probably, I know nothing about poetry. So what are you gonna do? You, and you have to write it in five minutes because the thing is due. And so what you're gonna, you're gonna Google, you're gonna listen to an interview and then you're gonna write an episode. That's basically what's going to happen. And that about farming is terrible. Now imagine if it's about a race of people. Now all of a sudden you have the Iranian episode and now all of a sudden you have to write about an Iranian guy and so guy's gonna be like, oh. So I'm gonna Google it, I'm gonna do the thing and I'm gonna write this episode about it. It's impossible for you, whoever it is that knows nothing about Iran or farming to get it right because you're bullshitting. Right, right. You need Just to get on the floor. Yeah. You have to. You have to get on the floor. You have to ask some people. You have to go into research. And our industry doesn't have any time for any of that. So what's going to happen? Nonsense. Nonsense is going to be put out there. And and if you if we if and by saying no, even when people thought I was crazy, by saying no, what happens is I'm forcing them to at least look at like well. This guy's a good actor. He seems to have morals and principles. Why is he saying no? And and and, and I, I want to give one more example of that. It, you know, someone wrote a character and it was Iranian. The Iranian character was like really like really yelly and offensive and not Iranian at all. So I was like, no, this isn't very Iranian. And a couple of weeks goes by and they rewrite the character and now all of a sudden he's a saint. He's like the greatest guy in the world. And he's like, and I was like, that's a pass too because we're not that either. And then they're like, well, what do you want? I was like, I want you to talk to 10 Iranians and what it feels like to be Iranian. Talk, start there. You know what I mean? Like get a consultant. You have the money, get a consultant. Get an Iranian consultant, you know? Um, and and it's the, the hardest part about this, even today, is when you're 26 and, and in a- you don't have to always have to play an Iranian. I mean, yeah, and maybe I don't yeah, yeah. have to play Iranian, exactly. But the, also, the other part that's really hard about this is that you go into a room and you go and you're meeting the executive and you're 27 years old and you're testing for a blah, 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 blah. And you say like, well, this part of this is not very Iranian. And, there, and then you can see that like, uh-oh, he's gonna be difficult. That's a problem, we're gonna get- He's gonna be a problem. That is really hard for us. So having advocates up there would be nice as well. Anyway, I can go on about this for generations. What do you tell that high school kid? You say, say no, but then what? I think, what I do think, they do to get those lean years? I think, you know, the answer is so specific of what you're looking for. And there is none of, there, there isn't of that. But in Iranian culture, coming from the Zoroastrian, there's this philosophy called good thoughts, good words, good deeds. And sometimes if you put those three out there in a situation like that, and you focus, you put your good thoughts out there. Yeah, I'm not playing a terrorist. You put your good um, words out there and being like, this is why I'm not doing this. And your good deeds is like, well, let me write something and let me tell you what it actually looks like. Or let me explain to you, or in a deed would be like, well, here, can we want to work together on this? I think that's a philosophy that I go with. Um, because to me, the only way that we can really kind of like fix all this is to, is to confront the issue. You don't have to be nasty about it. Sometimes you do, but, but most of the times you don't. You have to be like honest and earnest and be like, this is why this is up. And then if they don't want that, you don't want to fucking work with them anyway. If they're not going to be open enough to listen to, about something, you know, I'm talking from the Iranian perspective, but black, white, 
um, woman, um, gay, you know, trans, like there are so many different ways of like voicing, you know, for the voiceless. And I think that really um, that is a big portion of it, but I'm a big believer of doing, 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 doing. You're not liking the stories that they're writing about your people. You need to start writing those stories because that's how this will go. Um, that's how okay. I think of it. Um, and also- What was that again? What was the, the saying? The saying is good thoughts, good words, good deeds. I love that. It's very it's, not the Roy's or Stewie, but- uh... At all. <laughs> at all but i try to sneak in some good thoughts good words good deeds in some places in there but no no the no. The, the, the genius of succession is just like bad thoughts bad words bad deeds exactly <laughs> or in this again another hour i've taken of your time with so interesting i'm so happy about all your successes and and i will keep calling on you when you i know Please you have do. less and less time Please do. <laughs> for, thank for you this, i really but... appreciate you reaching out my love Thank you again so much to Arian Moyet. So, Spider-Man will be out in theaters in December. The Netflix limited series Inventing Anna in the spring of 2022. The Accidental Wolf, which Arian directed and wrote, will be is on topic. And new seasons will be coming soon, I understand. And, of course, Succession is running now. And another nine weeks we have to watch what's going to be going on to the Roy family and Stewie and everyone else. And thank you so much for listening to Pop Culture Confidential. Please subscribe and rate the show. It really helps others to find us. See you next time. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the Guilty Greeny. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid (laughs) elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. It's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greeny on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greeny challenges. Until then, stay curiously green.